What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look, weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my co-host for the last time in 2020. Well, I guess we have the, the year-end ones, but for mm-hmm. those that are uh, uh, not aware, those are maybe recorded prior to the end of the year. Because, hey. you know, we're, we're just trying to bang out the content when we can. But this is Dave Martin Swagger on, on the, the line, folks. Dave, how you doing today? Doing well, sir. End of the line for 2020. Once at last, beginning of 2021. Not going to feel that much different, though. No, Dave. I I swear. 2021, New Year, gonna be, COVID's gonna be gone. Everything's gonna be normal again, right? Yeah. I've been Good I've been stuff. told COVID's just gonna go away since like November 4th. So that, that's what I thought too. We're a little behind on that. Yeah. It'd be nice if it did, but, uh, you know, vaccine on the horizon, maybe by next summer, we'll start to see things a little bit more open and mm-hmm. uh, maybe by end of next year, things will feel more normal. So hoping for that, but we're going to be uh, talking a couple of things today. We're going to be talking a TV show. We're going to be talking some movies and uh, maybe having a debate for one last time about what makes a TV show and what makes uh, a movie. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but before we jump in, hit that subscribe button on youtube.com slash nostalgiapod and soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod. But Dave, let's start with Grogu and Mando and uh, Moth Gideon getting a, a big showdown in this week's finale of The Mandalorian. Um, yeah, wrapping up the second season with Chapter 16, The Rescue, Peyton Reed at the helm for this finale. And, you know, I, I think Mandalorian, for anyone that cares about Star Wars in any way, has really become must-watch television. It's one of the few shows that I watch as soon as I can every week. Uh, it's, on, it's on the mind. Want to see it. Want to talk about it. And I think this season somehow upped the the quality, up the stakes, up to the uh interest for a lot of people um just a really great season of television and i think this finale really landed the ship and before we get too far into it, i just want to hear like how are you feeling about mando the finale and mando season two as a whole uh like you I, I'm, I'm feeling great definitely think the season uh, exceeded expectations and in general did not think the mandalorian as a live action star wars television show would reached the levels it has in 16 episodes without a question it's i've been quite impressed and the uh recent news of spinoff shows with that disney investor call and the uh, an additional show that we learned about in the finale um is honestly welcome news because you can tell that a a plan is in motion and it's being executed on at a very high level so it's it's lovely yeah, it's nice when it feels like the people who are creating the show have such a, a great handle on not only what Star Wars fans want to see, but then are making a story that doesn't feel totally fan servicey, but still kind of working in those appearances and those storylines that get the uh, you know get those OG heads going. You know. <sighs> I guess maybe like the place to to start with this is, um, you know, we, we a lot happened in this finale. You get uh, like a break in fight uh, to the uh, 
to the through through an empire ship uh, battleship and then you get mando facing off with moff gideon for the the soul of baby yoda you get the the dark troopers uh kind of with that doom and gloom you know bringing it on like how, how are they gonna get out of this one and then our guy the og the real og luke skywalker mark <laughs> hamill shows up uh and totally wrecks shit um very cool scene the the luke skywalker reveal did you find that to to be surprising where, where were you at with that I mean, as soon as I saw the X-Wing, I knew it was Luke. thought that was kind of obvious, especially once you could tell they were intentionally hiding his face. So I was like, okay, well, that's because this is uh, digital effects because right. Mark Hamill doesn't look like that anymore, you know? <laughs> I, I think that was pretty clear. Um, but yeah, I, I hadn't considered much the prospect of Luke showing up on this show. I really thought if somebody was going to, you know, connect with Grogu's force call on Typhon. I thought it'd be like Ezra Bridger and bring in more Rebels connection in. Pretty clear now that that'll happen on the Ahsoka spinoff show. So I was like, hmm, I, I wasn't necessarily assuming that anyone was going to show up this episode, honestly. But um, I think it, it, was, it was done effectively. Um, saw a lot of, you know, I mean, like there's cool things, right? Like the mirroring of the Vader Rogue One shot with Luke, you know, and the, the, the smoke and stuff. Obviously, the cool nods like that. Obviously, it's a very fan service thing. And uh, he definitely saw a lot of takes about it. I was like, this is what we wanted. This isn't why we like this and not The Last Jedi. And it's like, I mean, Luke barely said anything in this. It's not like this is great Luke. It's just a really good cameo and it was cool, you know? Um, whether there's subsequent Luke spinoffs or a spinoff with Luke and Grogu, I think is uh, its own thought really. And, and kind of interesting because the way we're at with this story, when is the next time anyone sees baby Yotes? Is he going to be in the next season, the Mandalorian? Like that seems kind of implausible to me unless he immediately leaves Luke, which wouldn't make much sense now that we know he's with Luke. Yeah. Baby Yoda is, is the most, I think like up in the air character here because obviously he's the the toy money maker for them right now he is everyone's favorite like character just social media impressions all that yeah it's and then i mean i can't see them sidelining him but i also don't understand it unless they're going to recast luke i can't see them doing digital cgi Yeah, he has to be recast if he has a major role moving forward in different any fashion really and then i mean it's also going to be interesting because then does it just become like the Mandalorian with Luke Skywalker traveling the universe, looking for other, you know, force sensitive beings. Like, yeah, you know, it, it feels like why not just keep the the Mandalorian and Yoda together? Well, and that's the thing uh, too is I, I think season two actually did like a really good job of working towards Din taking off his helmet mm-hmm. and kind of closing the book on that first like you know arc between Grogu and Din, right? And that moment where he takes off the helmet again in front of everyone else, so that. Yodes can see his face before he says goodbye. I think that was really well done. And also, I think, kind of closes the book for now between those two. Um, Mandalorian season three, you know, I think Bo Katan and uh, the Darksaber and earning that to her qualifications, you know, that aspect, reclaiming Mandalore, 
perhaps Mandalorian season three is a more straightforward proposition for the plot. Um, because I, I, I don't know, like, like from like a narrative perspective, I, I don't understand how you bring it back. If anything, I feel like building the show out and all the other spinoffs where he doesn't really show up in, for a while. And like, we're building ourselves back up to baby Yoda's return, you know? I mean, I wonder if like time, like we'll have like a time jump. We're only five years after Return of the Jedi, meaning we're 25 years before Force Awakens. So there's a lot of time before Kylo Ren kills everyone at Luke's uh, Jedi Academy, you know? So and does that include baby Yoda? Is I have a, to imagine that's a no. That's a no. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of crazy to think about because if in the uh, the what's it, the not the Rise of Skywalker, um, the first the sequel, Force Awakens, Force Awakens. Thank you. Um, you know, we're we're led to believe that there's not many Force sensitive beings, and Luke Skywalker has gone into hiding. We find him in the Last Jedi, and he says he's the last of the Jedi religion. So does that mean Baby Yoda goes? off of the jedi religion make right. his own way become ahsoka basically and and this kind of connects to i think one of the great things mandalorian season two did well which was i think it's a what's a well it's a well-contained season of tv success a uh, sequel to the first season as well but also really effectively sowed the seeds of its greater cast and all the spin-offs now we know officially are coming um and I think even Mandalorian season two and definitely these spinoffs to come have like filled in like the gaps that the sequel trilogy like gave for people in terms of like filling in the lore and like the plot of the movies and, you know, return of the Jedi to the sequel trilogy like this questions that like have been like filled in in comics and books, but still kind of like nebulous to the average movie fan. We've been getting that filled in, I think, kind of smartly. And like the, the the Rangers of the Republic show, which we assume is the Cara Dune spinoff. I think that'll be a really good job to kind of explain why Force Awakens begins with the New Republic and the Resistance separated. And like, why was Leia being like new rebels, even though they were in control of government, right? It's like, there's tons of uh, potential and opportunity to do stuff like that. Um, I actually don't know if there's a lot to gain with a Luke and heavy Luke show. You know, so that, again, leaves a big question to me of like, what is the future for Grogu in terms of these these stories? Yeah, like some of these spinoffs, I feel like they feel kind of self-contained. The Book of Boba Fett, that was the big reveal in the post credits of the season two finale. That That's cool. That's just more Boba Fett kind of making good on uh, the Boba Fett hype and coolness that we've had since uh, 1979. Um and that was another big benefit of season two, right? It's like, it's tremendous fan service to see Boba Fett, like in the flesh for real and actually like speaking and doing things. And we're going to get more of that. That's cool. And like the Ahsoka show continuing what the cartoons have done. Right. But how does baby Yoda actually fit into this? I I really don't know. Yeah. That's, that's a, a big question out there. And, um, you know, I do feel like we got a very satisfying, goodbye not only you know do we get like the the yeah. touching moment where baby yoda needs din's approval needs him to take the, or ask him to take the mask off and mandalorian uh you know obliges pedro pascal also with some uh, a plus acting i think in that moment you know really we see a lot him of emotion. yeah exactly um but i i think it, it 
to bring it back to just the the show the mandalorian in general i think that moment so perfectly like encapsulates um really what the show does well which is i think like it gives you these wonderful characters and they all get moments but no no one character feels like overplayed or overdone even yoda you know in the season or, or grogu in this season was pretty sparingly used i mean yeah i guess like the episode he was in the most by the one with the frogs and where he was like eating them and that was like mm-hmm. comic relief but other than that he's really just there for like the reaction shots he gets sidelined in almost every other episode and it's um I think it's it's just great that they've built out this thing where they have all these characters just pop in and have these moments that can pop back out and it doesn't feel like um, disingenuine or like they're just like putting stuff in to put stuff in. And to even further it along, it creates a really familiar structure week to week where the episodes feel like you kind of know the beach, you know it's coming. And that, I think, is makes it pleasurable to watch and easy to watch. But it also does a really good job of, I think, examining uh people's beliefs and it it has a deeper meaning to the story and you can kind of see that coming along with you know obviously din and his perspective on his uh mandalorian religion you know where he's taking the mask off he's sacrificing his beliefs to for a greater cause being a father being uh a guardian to grogu and um i think it, it just is really awesome that it works on all these levels where you can see it as just a a space western or you can go deeper and see it as like a person evolving uh, introspective type show so Mm -hmm. just really impressive and um favreau and feloni have just been crushing crushing it this season so and then like we've said everyone said it before but it it honestly i can't believe it looks as good as it does like it looks dynamite like yeah there are some moments if you look closely you can be like hmm, okay i I can kind of see how this is kind of like a close set i can i get that like um when they go pick up uh uh bill burr at that like uh like garbage place i can tell that's kind of a set that's like a 50 foot wide set right i got that but like the fact that they do all this just in that manhattan beach studio for the stagecraft technology it is beyond impressive um and yeah i mean like if you're a hardcore fan there's just so much cool lore stuff but it's important that it's done effectively that it's not alienating less hardcore fans nor sacrificing the quality of of the show itself like it's both very much part of the star wars universe and ip and also just effective tv and definitely even if it was only like one or one of those things and not the other, I still think everyone would be quite satisfied. The fact that it's both of those things all the time is why I think everyone's so impressed still. So as we are moving towards the wrap up of this conversation, I think the question I wanted to pose to you, Dave, is do you think the Mandalorian as a show moving forward is going to center around Din specifically, or do you think it will become more about Mandalore and mandalorians in general yeah it's a good question i think i think it's still going to be around din but maybe his whole season is you know the, around like man, the mandalore stuff right yeah. i mean if we just look at the timeline of when we're going to get things um we know that the cash and andor show is already being shot and that the obi-wan kenobi show goes into production in March, but we also know those shows aren't coming till Andor. We know is coming 2022. We assume the same for Kenobi. Um, 
it was recently revealed that the book of Boba Fett's already in production and that Mandalorian season three will follow that. And that book of Boba Fett's coming December 21. So we're not going to get another one of these shows until the Boba Fett show in about a year. And then to follow is the next Mandalorian season. But those other spinoffs are going to come in too. So I feel like the Mandalorian is like the centerpiece and they'll probably keep anchoring that in the fall. But and, and they'll use Dan as like that center. But it's kind of clear that like we're going to see a lot more stuff between now and then. And again, it's going to be a while before we see Baby Yoda because if he's not in much of season three and we already know season three is going to be like probably two years from now, like it's kind of a long wait, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, they'll still uh, sell merchandise and stuff. Get get the Yuke, no. the, yeah. the Yuke. Yeah, the Yuke uh, character uh, action figure, right? The Luke Baby Yoda mm. action figure. Sure. Um, anyways, we're going to move on from the Mandalorian into another tv show oh god movie i don't know dave uh maybe we'll wrap up examining that but we're gonna look at education the fifth and final film from the small axe movie tv anthology film series anthology yeah exactly anthology film series from the one and only steve mcqueen and uh this this one examines a uh child going to uh school in is it London? I'm trying to remember. Yep. Yeah, London. And um early eighties, I think. Late seventies, something like that. Yeah. His name is Kingsley. Uh yeah, we'll say it's the seventies. Um, and Kingsley is a uh boy who struggles to read. And the school he's in um labels him as special, labels him as basically um, you know, not intelligent enough to be in that school, and they has to go to a special school where there is no structure. There's really no dedicated staff or teachers. And it's only like furthering his like falling behind in school and the lack of help he gets. And um, this is, I think, I think this is the shortest thing behind Alex Weedle or shorter yeah. than Alex Weedle by three. They're, they're both like so. 60 something minutes. Yeah. But I, I think he, McQueen does a really good job in just an hour of highlighting the structural racism within these school systems um that were designed in some sense to hold black people and people with disabilities down because i mean if this was the education that these people were getting for simply struggling to read when it seems like maybe some attention and care could really come about in a different way or maybe just having more dedicated teachers um could have helped them really catch up. Uh, I, I just thought it was really expertly done. And, you know, especially following Alex Weedle, which was probably my least favorite of the five, this one really stood out to me for the effectiveness of the storytelling in just a short period of time. Um, how were you feeling watching education? Yeah, still, still, obviously, because of its, its briefness, uh, it, it feels more episodic to me than the first three did. But I think that conciseness is more effective than Alex Weedle, like you said. Um, and, you know, I think what stands out, like, obviously, it's it's well shot. It's well thought out. It's obviously, for the most part, still subtle in what it's getting at, like all of small acts. But what I think makes education like a nice inclusion in this series 
is that it's looking at a different side of systemic racism and namely that like these biases and uh, clearly intentional uh, decisions to um, hold back and, you know, move around West Indian youths. This is a less um, in the public eye form of systemic racism, right? This is not the police beating people up and arresting people for no reason. And I think it's important to highlight that there are lots of sides to this because the blatant racism and even like the stuff that happens to Leroy Logan, red, white, and blue, that stuff's still obvious when you see it. And it, it, it you know, obvious that it's wrong and, and, and should be fixed, right? Uh, something like this, it's just harder for people to be aware of that it's even happening to them and that it's, they are being uh, wrong. And like education does a good job of, you know, showing you those activists and the fact that like the community had to fight and spread awareness and, you know, organize and unify themselves to have any hope of even uh, improving this because the first step was just making sure even people even knew it was happening. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's an important, important thing to show. Yeah. I, I think there were, a couple of scenes that really stood out to me from this. The first was obviously when Naomi Aki shows up as Hazel, um, who shout out to her from the end of the fucking world season two. Um, Skywalker. And yeah, and she, and she comes in and just totally changes the atmosphere of that classroom and just how quickly all those children like respond to her. And then, you know, uh, juxtaposed against the, white teacher who's playing his guitar you know playing what was it like the zombies or something like that over and over um the the animals yeah the animals that's what it was um just uh you know a real i think uh highlight for the of this for me and then the other scene that i think really stood out in terms of like identifying the importance and, and one of the messages i think mcqueen really highlights throughout all the small acts which is understanding yourself learning your own background but also i think being taught by people within your culture and people who understand you is at the end when uh, kingsley goes to the uh it was like the home school or whatever it was that was being run um where him and his sister went and you know then he reads to his parents at the end and just um really highlights i think the importance of having uh black people teaching black people, people of, of all different um, races and identities being taught by people who can understand their experiences and, and connect with them in different ways. And um, I, I think that message of like education and understanding yourself and those and those within your culture is really, really strong throughout all these. And I think uh, highlighted well in education. Yeah, I agree. Uh, definitely a, uh, Great film series to be a part of. I'm really happy again that it was week to week over five weeks. Um, obviously, there are high, more high, some that are uh, easier to highlight than others, namely uh, Mangrove and Lovers Rock. But mm-hmm. obviously, still happy we got the whole thing. And uh, fittingly, this was capped off with the Los Angeles Film Critics uh, Group awarding Small Acts their Best Picture. Not Mangrove for Best Picture, but Small Axe. All five movies win Best Picture, which is uh, 
I think, a really ridiculous way to continue this uh, conversation about defining small acts, because even with that critics group, like Lover's Rock was nominated for something else. So like you, you're separating small acts into the five films that it is, but also awarding the whole body. Like, I, I don't know. I feel yeah. like that was a step too far. Best picture, I, small acts. I, I think next year when the Emmys come out, it'll just be TV movie, right? Like, and this will yeah. definitely win. Uh, we already know Amazon's running it as, at the Emmys. So, yeah, I think that kind of puts to bed that it is a, you know, film, but just in this anthology format. Are there, you know, just looking at small acts in general, are there any, like, scenes, moments, anything from it that really stand out to you or sit mm-hmm. with you? I mean, it's definitely the, a lot of those lovers rock scenes where everyone's like dancing and singing mm-hmm. together for sure. And then, um, I mean, some of the mangrove stuff early on is quite horrifying, but also like the way mangrove ends um, was really good. Definitely, a, as we said before, market correcting Charlie Chicago 7 in the process. Um, <laughs> and then favorite acting was definitely Boyega throughout Red, yeah. White, and Blue. Um, the pool uh, billiards uh, room scene stood out. Yep. Yeah, yeah, a lot of good moments. Uh, I think you highlighted the main ones for me. I think also the courtroom stuff was just really, really well shot, really uh, captivating uh, filmmaking. So um, if you have time to watch it, especially as we're you know reaching the end of the year and a kind of a dead period for new things, I mean, we'll, we'll have some catching up to do over this time, but um, this is a good chance to, to dig into some really good films and or TV shows, however you want to put it. So why don't we move on, though, Dave, to a, another film that came out. And this time we're, we're going to be going to a different country. We're going to be going to Germany, where we're going to be talking about Mads Mikkelsen in another round. Not Germany. It's Danish, sorry. Danish. Denmark. Denmark. Um, you know, Mads Mikkelsen, we've talked about quite a bit recently as he's replacing Johnny Depp as Grindelwald and right. Fantastic Beasts. And we just felt like that was a great choice. And I think if anyone wasn't really, you know, bought into Mads Mikkelsen, there's a lot of stuff you can watch and be bought into him. Um, but you wanted to watch something new to see if you can buy into him. I think this is a great opportunity because, uh, you know, there's a, there's some really great moments in another round, but really what I'm just left sitting with is Mads Mikkelsen is just a, great actor just really really emotionally Mm -hmm. uh well performed role um in in another round and um you know his character martin uh really runs the gambit of of experience in this movie and i think Mm -hmm. mickelson plays it so convincingly throughout just was really impressed What, what what were you left with after watching another round yeah, I agree. I mean, it's definitely one of his most compelling lead performances in a long time, at least since he's become uh, more famous uh, Hollywood side of things. Um, I mean, he, he had made, made a movie with Thomas Vintenberg before, back in 2012, The Hunt, his fellow Dane, but, and, you know, he probably made his name early on for working with uh, Nick, Nick Wending Refn, even earlier, right? But like, I after Casino Royale, I think it still took a few years and like Hannibal's success for Mads to become like a well-known Hollywood actor. And a lot of times that's like supporting roles, right? Like sometimes you just, you know, get, get the bag for Rogue One or Doctor Strange, right? Or do some stuff. But apart from Hannibal, he hasn't been in the lead a lot, uh, at least in notable stuff. 
And this was cool to me because, as you said, it definitely highlights his strengths. He just has a really uh, unique uh, way he communicates emotion on his face. You think of like the famous reaction gifs of him, stuff like that. Like we've known that, but um, in another round, just watching the, the him and his buddies uh, go through what they what they do, um, having Mads like sell that as like his character has his ups and downs is a. Uh, it's kind of obvious why he's uh, so well liked because he is really talented and like he's also uh, well liked because he's funny in press and I feel like that connects really well to uh, the final the, f- the final scene where he's dancing and just being triumphant and jubilant and stuff. So yeah, I mean it, it's really like the best stuff is definitely the Mads, uh, everything about Mads. But considering he's in most of the movie, uh, that 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 is most of the movie. So yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I mean the only other real character who gets a lot of screen time in the movie is uh tommy thomas bo larson played by thomas bo larson um and you know i i think he's still really solid in this but if you are walking away and not just like impressed with with mickelson i'm not sure what movie you're really watching um and you know it really starts off with him as this very like dysthymic uh teacher history teacher in denmark and um, kind of confronted by a lot of things in his life where he's like, I just don't feel the same as I used to. I don't feel passionate about things, feel very listful in life. Um, you know, even his job, he's just like totally like checked out and his friends kind of call him out at dinner and they suggest uh, this um, this theory by psychiatrist uh, Scar- Scarderud, uh, Finn Scarderud, where you should have a Alcohol, blood alcohol content of 0.05 at all times in order to be more creative and relaxed and Mickelson decides to try it and him and his friends do it's a it's a pretty good concept for a film because it's yeah. kind of like goofy and fun but there's already like a built-in like tension obviously where you know they're they're drunk at work all the time and um trying to like keep that under wraps and not get caught um I, I think it I think I was left a little bit confused at the end as to what the movie is really trying to say about, you know, like drinking and um, like the, the use of it in society. Um, but I, I think the movie makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways, you know, like it really, I think of like, like, like the message I was left with it is, you know, finding ways to, uh, relax and let your guard down and connect with things you care about is really important in life. Even if it may cause you to like be impact, like other parts of your life to be impacted, you should always be like seeking ways to feel mm-hmm. alive. Um, now I, I don't know if I totally connect with that message. And I think it, that's maybe a bit too simple as to what they were really trying to get across. But especially when, uh, my expectation in the last scene was Mickelson was going to contact his wife and, and maybe go see her and like work things out. And it really ends with him partying with teenagers. Like, and it's kind of like leaves you trying to, at least it left me thinking a lot about what the movie is trying to communicate. What, what did you take away as like the message of the movie? Well, yeah, at the end, I mean, he's processing grief of losing his friend while also sensing like a new beginning, be able to, restart with his estranged wife right and in general i think the way you know the way the movie goes uh it's, it's a fun preface pre, uh 
premise and there's a lot of fun vibes, right? Like, I mean, it starts off with these kids literally doing a case race, like, mm-hmm. hell yeah. And then like, there's a bin, there's a heavy bin drinking scene, like a few times the dudes get wasted. Right. And like, mm-hmm. that's all fun. But when, when you see in like the negative side of things and culminating in like the loss of Tommy, um, mm-hmm. it, I think it actually kind of defied, defied a lot of convention in terms of like predictability for the plot. Like, yeah, we knew it wasn't going to end well. This 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 idea of theirs to stay at 0.5 BAC at all times, like, no shit. But, like, taking it, I think they took it, uh, Fittenberg takes it in, like, kind of, like, uh, like different corners. So, and again, I think Matt's kind of helped selling that by uh, communicating, like, the struggle that his character was already bringing to the table before he started this uh, project. Um and yeah, I mean, I think like the ending, like, I'm like, I think I'm like you, I'm not like totally positive of like what you're supposed to take away, but like, it's just a really triumphant ending. And yeah. I, I enjoyed it. No, me, me too. And I think there's a bunch of scenes that, you know, I really enjoyed in, in the movie. I thought the dinner scene where they kind of call him out and he starts to like open up to his friends about what he's going through, I thought was really well shot and yeah, um, effective. I really liked a lot of the, the classroom scenes, especially yes. as he like started like opening up, which is, mm-hmm. you know, electric. Um, and, and all of the, like the way that the classroom scenes were kind of paralleled by the, the like staff meetings or like the teachers, like coming together to like be talked to by the principal at times. And like the, the feeling of like dread and like tension in those rooms was just really well done. I thought um, also really really like sweet in some ways like tommy with the uh, specs i thought was like a really like yeah. nice thing to watch and calling him specs too i thought yeah. was so funny um like the the scene where specs finally scores in like the soccer game i thought was really cool so some definite like highlights for me um i don't know i, I guess like i would just say check this out i'm sure we'll be seeing this as a best picture nomination at the oscars i have to imagine um I wouldn't say that. Not best picture. I don't think so. Or uh, best foreign film. Sorry. But yeah, best international film. We already know it's Denmark's entry. Um, we'll find out in time if that does get nominated. But I'm sure it'll make the larger shortlist. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's definitely one of the more hyped up um, international films so far. So that's awesome. And probably the Mads profile of it all helps. Um, helps in that regard. So yeah, we'll we'll probably be hearing about another round again soon we'll, we'll talk about it if it gets to that nomination um but while we move on to something where i think we'll certainly see at least one nomination possibly two which is ma rainey's black bottom the um film produced uh, or partially produced by denzel washington um todd black danny wolf also producing with him directed by george c wolf and really starring just Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman. Although I do want to say shout out to Coleman Domingo, who <laughs> we talked about recently with the Euphoria special. Yeah. Um, and I think and he's Glenn actually Thurman from yeah. Fargo. I, so I think we've, we know that the people who are in this are like top notch actors, but um, yeah, I mean, this is really just a Viola Davis and mostly Chadwick Boseman, like acting display for the most part. Um, what, what were you, what was just your overall experience with the movie? Did you enjoy it? Was it for you? 
you know, the reason it's primarily an acting display is because it's a stage adaptation of an August Wilson play, which is also why it's produced by Denzel Washington, because he also produced the adaptation of Fences a few years back with him and Viola Davis after they both did it on, on stage. And I think Fences is probably slightly more famous uh, August Wilson play, but Ma Rainey's Black Bottom has been adapted uh, a few different ways. And um, I mean, Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg played Ma Rainey in the revival of the play about 17 years ago. So pe- people know it, but uh, I didn't find that like this stage play nature of it all was ham- like hamstrung. Like it actually made sense. There's a story taking place primarily in this one building, this recording studio in Chicago. So I didn't really have a problem with that. Like, I didn't feel like like, like a, a, a hamstring to me. Um, the fence adaptation is kind of the same way. Like, it's just the, the setting is the setting. But, I mean, if you see the play, you probably communicate more with the performances. I'm sure that makes sense, too. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, there's just there's a few, like, big dialogue scenes for Chadwick and Viola Davis. And that's probably what leaves you with it, because those scenes is what communicates the majority of the themes from August Wilson. And yeah, I mean, that's the movie, right? It's just putting the words onto the screen from August Wilson. And uh, I don't know if, you know, it's not like the most, I don't think it's like the most revelatory stuff. Like we've kind of seen this ground before, but I, what I like about this movie and particularly from Ma Ra- uh, the Ma Rainey perspective is like highlighting that even in like the North and, you know, the 20s there's still a lot of like inherent jim crow racism going on oh yeah and it's getting into like the culture of uh black people founding modern music but not getting credit for what they did for the culture uh that that's something that's talked about a lot but you're seeing a lot of the roots of that right here in terms of blues music in the 20s uh and that's awesome and then, yeah, I mean, Chadwick, it, obviously, it's it's really painful to watch him in a slightly, you, you notice it now, he looks a little more gaunt in this, right? You can kind of tell that this was one of the last things he made, and I believe this is his last role. Um, you can tell <laughs> that, like, you know, that, that fire, that pain, you know, you're getting all that stuff we like from Chadwick Boseman in his good roles. And, you know, I mean, what he, when he talks about what his family went through and stuff early on, um, I thought that was really effective. Again, like, it's not a surprising thing to hear about at this point, unfortunately, but when it's, I think, written in the way it is, and again, performed with such bravado um, from Chadwick without feeling over the top, um, it, it's it's really strong. And it's nice to see that it's at the top of a Netflix chart, mm-hmm. even today, on Monday. So people are definitely checking it out, despite the fact that it's a you know, conventional stage adaptation, I guess. Like, I think the movie itself is probably the least remarkable part of it, right? People would credit the play first or you credit the acting in this instance. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I I, I don't, I wouldn't say this is one of my favorite movies of the year. I think like, I don't know, something about the, um, I think just like the play, the stage adaptation feeling of it all just wasn't, totally for me i do think bozeman and and viola davis like you said are just like completely in the zone firing on all cylinders you can't really deny the level of performance that they have 
Um, you know, I, I think the kind of stuff I liked was like actually the opening scene, you know, where Ma Rainey is performing and yeah. Chadwick Boseman goes on the solo and she like screams to get, have the light turned back on her and like that tension. And I, I kind of wish we had a little bit more of that, like sort of energy, maybe even like splicing in moments, like flashbacks, things like that. Um, I do feel like the energy in the conversations was like very snappy and quick, especially among like Levy and the rest of the, the band. Um, which I think kept the energy up. But a couple of times I just found myself feeling a little bit like distracted or not totally engaged with it. Um, but then you have those moments, right, where like like you said, uh, Bozeman goes on that long monologue about the horrible atrocities that were done to his mom and him as a child and how his dad sought revenge for that. Or like when Ma Rainey is um, having her nephew do the opening and they do all the takes and she's just totally like defiant in the face of these white like record producers who she knows are like taking advantage of her and she's like i'm mm -hmm. gonna get mine out of this like those yeah. are the moments that i really like stuck with with the film but i think some of the stuff in between felt a little bit flat for me a one a two you know what to do <laughs> yeah i mean I, I also like like the band yeah talking it out in the basement again part of that leads to the, the bozeman monologue but also like coleman domingo a, 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 classically trained actor um you know his voice uh, is yeah. obviously well remarked upon like that like really like strong rich baritone right mm -hmm. like having him spar a little bit with chadwick who's bringing a more like precocious energy in his character um also really effective but yeah i mean like like it's like it seems like the band and uh levy are separated from ma from like most of the movie it's only like these two different threads and I guess that's like where you see like the seams of it being a play where you can kind of tell that like they were on stage and then she was on stage and then they go back and there's a few times when they're all on stage, but really they're kind of separated. So like, right. yeah, I get, I get that and all. Um, but I think the themes are still communicated well, which is why this was adapted in the first place. Cause it's a well-regarded play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I think the, like the thing I was left most with was like the parallel in the story that happened to levy and how he kind of plays that out throughout the course of the play you know having sex with um taylor page dusty may ma's girlfriend um you know kind of uh trying to seek his revenge in some some way by like trying to like outshine ma at points or like tell her that she doesn't need him and then he ends up being the one who kills uh i forgot which one he kills Is it glenn, glenn Turman, yes. toledo yeah mm -hmm. um but in, in a way that also just felt kind of like out of nowhere in a sense, like you could feel the escalation, but I wasn't sure it like totally made sense or was like maybe built up that well. But, um, you know, I still think in terms of what the movie is trying to say and, and what really shown about it probably was. Right. Tomatoes. Yeah. Well, I think in that moment, um, and like, that's the other aspect of the play is that at the end, after he's been kicked out of the band, Levy's like, all right, well, I got these great ideas. I know these are good. I know these will work. And he takes him to the producer yeah. and he's like, yeah, I don't need these. I mean, I'll give you like barely any money for them. Take them off your hands, but I'm certainly not going to make these songs with you. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, it, it, and Levy's like failed at what he talked, talked all about in the beginning about knowing how to 
work the uh, way. address the way man and knowing when to yeah. strike and all that kind of stuff. And he, he kind of like senses the dread of like, I can't actually improve on the situation. And like you, you could and you reflect on what happened earlier with Ma, and she, she's already come to the realization that like her success with the black audience is all she has to have any pull over this, mm-hmm. this, this situation, right? Again, even in the supposedly more progressive North in the twenties, right. right? And then that leads into like Thurman steps on his shoe, and next thing you know, he got stabbed to death because mm-hmm. Levy just kind of lost it at that point, lost all like his like sense of place at that point so and again chadwick really sells it i think i think he's definitely the favorite for best actor at this point for sure will be nominated and viola mm-hmm. davis is probably a shoe in for nomination as well don't know if she necessarily will win so uh, given that she already won for an august wilson <laughs> adaptation just a few years ago in fences yeah but I mean, she's really good again. Shout out the makeup department as well. Um, like the way yeah, they like cake up teeth. the makeup on her face too. Like, like if you didn't know Zola Davis, I feel like she's actually a little unrecognizable. The way like that makeup is done and stuff. Uh, to be honest, I got like 20 minutes in and I was like, this is Viola Davis, right? Like I, I hmm. thought it was really convincing, especially the teeth really got mm-hmm. me like sure. really well done. Um, just uh, personally for you, do you feel like this is the, uh, performance of the year for in terms of Bozeman as a levy. Oh, like overall performance year. I have to think about that one more. Um, I mean, it's just showy. It's showy, right? Yeah, it, that's because of the words. Like, I think he's really good, and there there is like physical presence to it too. Too, he's not just orating. Um, I think I'm. I still like Sound of Metal, Rizamet a little bit more. Yeah, that's right. Um, too. And then also like something like Stephen Young and Minari, which is much more understated performance. There's a lot of uh, variety, I think, to these acting performances. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, I mean, like this, this is almost like turning it up to ten on what Chadwick did in *Defy Bloods*, right? Like *Defy Bloods*, he's yeah. in the movie way less supporting performance, but and like that, like that, like rage and that like uh, energy that he has a storm and Norman's like a little more restrained and controlled the way the characters are written. this time. It's more like, yeah, as you said, like there's, it's really just a monologue a few times. Right. And you know, it's, um, it's a very Oscars movie. I mean, there's so many aspects of it where it's like, this was just made for Oscar nominations and success. Uh, it's also interesting. This is the second uh, stage adaptation we're watching from Netflix this year, obviously a boys in the band earlier in the year um so i wonder if that's going to be a theme for them where they're investing in this or just kind of so happened where these two were just released um you know together i mean we are going to be seeing um west side story i think right i mean Uh, at least in the near future in a year it would it would have been out um on christmas this year before it was delayed so i mean i guess we will be seeing another stage adaptation at least one next year also let's not forget uh the prom on Netflix, was right? Also oh, yeah, <laughs> I just watched that adaptation last week. So, uh, yeah, maybe this is something Netflix feels is important to be investing in. We'll see. But uh, check out Mob Rainey's Black Bottom, and uh, that's gonna do it for us. I mean, we're not gonna be posting week to week episodes for the next couple of weeks, but be checking out our Nostalgia Year End list. TV, music, movies will be coming out a little after the first of the year. Dave, any last words for the people in terms of 2020 or the podcast? Hmm. 
2020. Podcast still went good. We never had found that uh that the content mines truly dried up. We had many concerns, but it did uh we persevered. So that was nice and all. Seems like uh when we have uh yeah ha- when you have your uh nose in as many things as we do, it's hard to truly find nothing to talk about. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, you know, thankful for a lot of things this year, a really crappy year, but appreciate uh all the the clicks all the views all the engagement on the the uh, youtube and on our um obviously our twitter so mm-hmm. uh please follow us at nostalgia pod youtube.com slash nostalgia pod follow our nostalgia best of 2020 playlist if you want to get those last second 2020 songs in and be looking out for 2021 next year see you next year yeah.